Hey guys, this is Tyler Padgett. I'm the lead pastor of the Courageous Church, and this is our podcast. I want to thank you for joining us today. And my hope is that this podcast encourages you, that it builds your faith, and that it pushes you to make a difference. You can join us in person on the weekends, Sundays at 9.30 and 11, at any one of our locations across the Ozarks. Check out our social media pages to find a campus near you. I believe you're listening today for a reason. Let's do this, turn up the volume, and let's go. So we are in a series called Growing Pains, and today I am going to talk to you about love. Look at your neighbor and say love. Now look at them in the eyeballs and draw up your voice a little bit and say love. Not that kind of love, but just in case you needed some help, I'm here to help you with all things related to life and godliness. And so let's get this going. The Bible tells us in Galatians the fruit of the Spirit and what that looks like compared to the message of the book of Galatians, which was the fruit of religion, rule-keeping, and uh, returning to the Mosaic Law from the uh, life that Christ had for them. And so these people are going back, trying to earn what God had already purchased. Wouldn't it be weird on Christmas if when you got your gifts, you're like, okay, uh, and you calculated up all the hourly rates for the gifts you got and tried to earn back what was given to you? And so that's not good. That's not great. Look, let's get it off the table right now. I'm wearing a bear. It's Renee's idea. It is a, it is a grizzly bear, so nobody to be afraid. If you've got kids in the room, you may want to take them to see kids because this is a lot, I know. It's fierce grizzly bear. I don't want to hear anything else about it. Here's what the Bible teaches in Galatians 5.19. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality. God says these things are sin. God says these things come from our own wicked hearts and not from him. Sexual immorality. Impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery. Enmity, strife, jealousy. Fits of anger. Rivalries. Dissensions, divisions. Envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warn you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, and against such things there is no law. Those people were tied up in law-keeping for God to love them and for God to be pleased with them. And that's where your focus can get to. You can get your focus so tied up on your behavior that you forget about your Savior. And that doesn't please God. We need to be so in love with Jesus that our heart changes based upon our great love for him. Somebody say amen. I grew up in a world where they had laws and rules against everything. Uh, I, 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 I couldn't square dance at school because, you know, in the fourth grade because it may lead to sexual temptation. So I didn't square dance. That was one of the good things I got out of, honestly. But there were so many rules, so many rules that made no sense. And our focus ended up just being on the rule keeping. And, 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 and we didn't think about Jesus much because we had rules to separate us from that thought. But the Bible says there's no law against these things, meaning that you can't do anything wrong when you're living in the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentle self-control. All right? And of this Christmas season, it's a good time to think about love because Jesus built this church on love. The love of God is what you feel in this room that causes you to let down the defenses and the guards that you carry almost everywhere else in your life. Jesus built his church on love. 
When you come into God's house, what you feel is different than what you feel anywhere else. This is the place where love resides. This is the place where the freedom that comes from being truly loved and truly forgiven, it rests right here. And the Bible tells us in John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have eternal life. It is the beautiful expression of the plan of God at Christmas time for us. He came not as a king, not as a ruler. He came wrapped in swaddling cone, not swaddling cones, but swaddling clothes in a manger, a little feed trough that was carved out of rock. They put him in that. He came in a humble way to show us how far and how deep love will go into a mess to bring you out. Amen. And so this love spoken about that we read here is the love word agape, which means love that expects nothing in return. Love, hold on to your seatbelts, love that doesn't keep score. Oh, I'm digging through your trash can on a Sunday, keeping score. Where are my scorekeepers at? Where are my relational accountants at? <laughs> I did this and so you should duck. Agape love is love that doesn't keep score. Look at your neighbor and say, ouch. We love without expectation. We love because we have been loved by God. And, and that, that scripture, it speaks to the wonderful beauty. And I just all over again went into John 3, 16 this week, just thinking about, about the incarnation, the fact that God became man, but not just a grown man. He became a baby on our behalf so that we could be forgiven of our sins. And, and there's seven wonders, one writer said, of the book of John. God, who is the almighty authority, right? Nothing bigger than him, so loved the world, which is the mightiest motive, there's no greater motive than to love the world, gave his only begotten son, which is the greatest gift you could possibly give, that whosoever, which is the wildest welcome, like the doors are flown wide open, whosoever believes in him, which is the easiest escape, <laughs> if I just believe and put my trust in him, yes, it's the easiest escape, should not perish, praise God, which is God-sized deliverance, but have everlasting life, which is a priceless promise and something that we can have as our own possession. Can we give God praise for everything he's done? The gospel, the good news that Jesus brings still works to change any life. Verse 17 says, for God did not send his son into the world to point his finger at them and condemn them. He didn't bring his son of the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. So God this morning, no matter what your Saturday night looked like, is not pointing his angry finger at you. He's pointing at you like this. Come, come, come to me, all ye who are weary and are heavy burdened down, and I will give you rest. It's hard to find rest, but he'll give you rest. This is the goodness of God. And, and the Bible tells us about <laughs> oh, uh, the love of God that is not limited, okay? Like, a lot of us feel like, well, I can't love everybody. 
I, I, I'd be disloyal. Or I, 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 don't, I only have so much love to give. And so my love bucket can be worn out. My love bucket can go dry. But Romans 5 and 5 says this about God's love. God's love has been poured, the King James Version says, shed abroad. God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. There is not a measure of God's love that's going to run out. The greatest truth, and I've told this story many times, but it was so formative for me. I was in a religious environment growing up where there were so many rules, including square dancing and swimming at school and singing Christmas carols. Don't ask, just, just listen. And my dad, who wasn't, you know, who was a bookie, who probably did some recreational uses of different substances and who chain smoked, um, was driving me home from visit, our visitation one day. And he was so frustrated with all the rules because he thought I wasn't going to learn how to swim and that I would drown. And he was smoking, as he does. And when he got angry, he'd pull a big, long drag on it. Everybody acting like you've never smoked. I know there's a bunch of smokers and ex-smokers in the house. Just pay attention. He looked at me and said, Tyler, one thing you got to know, more than anything else. And he'd roll the window in the car down that much, and he'd stick it out the, he'd stick it out the, the window to get rid of the ash on it. He'd bring it back and goes, God is love. And even though it came from a much imperfect vessel, the truth of God's word spoken through my dad hit me so hard and it just resonated in my soul. You know what? That's right. God is love. More than anything else, God is love. The motive for God, the personification of God, the thing you'll see when you look in the eyes of our Savior in heaven, you're going to feel it. It's love, love, love. And so I will get up and rail on sin, but I will also get up and rail on the amazing love of God. Ah, it's, un, it's bigger than I can even explain. This is what John 13, 35 says. It says, by this, all men will know that you follow Jesus, that you're a disciple of Jesus. If you have love one for another, look down your row to your right. Come on, there we go. Look down your row to the left. The Bible tells us as the church, and we are the church, if people are going to know that you love Jesus, they're going to know it, that you love the people in your world that God has placed there. If people come to God's house and they don't experience and visualize the great love of God that's been poured in our hearts, they won't know that we really love him. And the world's hard. The world is hard. Charlie Munger was one of the greatest investors ever. He, with Warren Buffett, built Berkshire Hathaway, one of the seven, maybe the largest company in the world at some point. He died this week at 99 years old. He was a month away from being 100. And he said, I was one of the, he said, I'm one of the few people being 100 years old that can speak to what the world was like after the Great Depression. Hear me now. And he said, they were desperate times. People needed so much and they were just so hungry and had so little and been were so overwhelmingly desperate. He said, but I was safer back then than I am today in my billionaire's neighborhood in Los Angeles. Thought about that hearing this 99-year-old man say that this week as I was watching some interviews with him. And it just hit me how the desperation of a previous generation 
didn't look like the desperation of this generation in that the Bible says in Matthew 24 and 12 in the last days, and because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will be growing cold. We have to keep the love turned up in God's house. Anybody listen to me today? Like, like we, we must be the people that are willing to love. And I want to commend the Courageous Church today. We have all these things we do at Christmas time. We do the big give where we bless single moms. We all funded it like crazy. And we were able to bless many, 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 many single moms. We host a party for the residents of the Ark of the Ozarks, people that are developmentally disabled and, and, and handicapped. We bring them in and throw a massive party for them. Y'all filled up every slot to volunteer, praise God. And there are kids that are in Lakeland Behavioral Hospital, teenagers downtown. They've been locked up, thrown away. I have friends that have worked in there and the situation for many of them is so dark. And the kids that are literally eating drywall from the walls. And you're providing Christmas for them. And last year, when we put out the cards for these kids, they were gone, boom, like that. Now listen, these kids aren't Christians and a couple of them asked for Ouija boards. So we're not gonna buy Ouija boards, okay? I want you to get them Bibles and say it does the same thing. Put a note in there. Say, this does, the this does the same thing. Same thing, just it's an upgrade, okay? Upgrade. But seriously, thank you for loving each other. Thank you for loving our community. Thank you for understanding that we're not here just to tell the world how wrong they are, although we are a testament of the word of God to the city and to our nation. But more importantly, we're here to open the doors wide open and say, you can experience the great love of God that changes your life and opens your heart to all that is good in the world. Somebody clap your hands to Jesus today. And so disciples demonstrate love. The Bible tells us if you're a follower of Jesus, you demonstrate love. And this is what we do. We don't just have ideas for how other people can love us better, but we have love that we give without expectation of return to others. We don't just think up ideas for the church to do. We show the love of God to people in need. And so, 1 John 4 and 20 says this, if anyone says, I love God, and he hates his brother, he's a liar. Don't trust him. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. This hit me hard as a teenager because I thought it was, good. It was okay to love God and hate people, <laughs> but it's not. Dr. Cho has one of the largest churches, or had, he passed away, had one of the largest churches in the world in, in, in South Korea. And he said one day, he said, and he spoke with a heavy Korean accent, so I'm gonna do Dr. Cho, okay? He said, I pray two hours every day. I don't miss it. I pray two hours every morning. And people ask me, and his church had 50,000 people in it. He said, Dr. Cho, they don't speak like him. Dr. Cho, why do you pray so much? He said, I pray so much 
because there's some people I hate so much. <laughs> Never forget it. I pray two hours a day because I hate some people so much. The love of God is central to the life of believers. And it affects your day-to-day -day interactions. We do what we do unto God at the workplace. That's why the work ethic of the believers in Jesus should be the highest of anybody. Because we do what we do is unto God and not as unto men. I'm not working for a boss, I'm working for the Lord. When I managed the dog food and toilet paper aisle at Walmart, I didn't do it for the people. I did it for Jesus. The Bible tells us that. To do what we do is unto God. And so, we love without hope of return and without expectation of paybacks. No expectation of paybacks. That is generosity. And we need the Holy Spirit for that because it doesn't come natural. We got to be under control of the Holy Spirit. And so, and so love is a fruit of the Spirit, but it's also something commanded of us. Like, think about this. In a, in a, in a relationship where you're married, there's love, and it's easy to do many times. Many times not so easy, but it's certainly harder when love is commanded of you. Am I right? You better love me! It never works that well. But John 15, 12 says, this is my commandment. Commandment, like 10 commandment, like written on stone tables. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. You'll know your disciples, my disciples by your love for one another. You love without expectation of return, and I'm commanding you to do it. This is interesting. We'll talk about it more in a second. And so it's easy during this time of year to be ducking people, dodging phone calls, fussing with people that you love, right? But a capacity to love people when there's tension lets you know that you're really saved and that your heart has really been changed by God. A capacity to love in spite of tension, and that will test you and that will, that will put like formative, your character will be formed by that, but a capacity to love people when there's tension lets you know that you're saved. Loving your enemies comes from God, not from your own heart, because I don't want to love my enemies. I want God to bless them with various forms of cancer, right? But the Bible tells us to love our enemies, and we can't do it without the love of God. And so I'm practically humanitarian in the sense that when I mow my yard, I'll do like one strip extra for my neighbor. I'm out here showing like I'm practically the Mother Teresa of lawn care people. I mean, we're just commanded to love our neighbor and that's not even really the thing, but how is your love for your neighbor? Are you going home, putting the garage door up if you have one, driving in, shutting the car off, and closing the garage door behind you so you don't have to talk to the neighbors that you have. The Bible tells us to love our neighbors. Well, and then the spirit of the, the, the legalist says, well, who is my neighbor? Everybody's your neighbor, pal. Luke 6, 27, but I say to you who hear, 
love your enemies, do good to those who hate you. And so if we're to love our enemies, then how much more should we work at loving the people that we live with? There's so much outrage in the world, and there's so much anger in the world, and, and there's, there's so much offense in the world. Like if, if you hear somebody's name and you immediately got to say something about it, you're supposed to be saved. Part of the, 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 the restraint of the Holy Spirit in our, life, in our life looks like guarding our tongue against speaking out against those who have wronged us. Do good. Bless people. Pray for those that despitefully use you. If somebody asks you for your shirt, give them your coat too. Because people, I've done enough to deserve hell. But he loved me enough to come after me and forgive me and bring me into the family of God all because of love. How can I stand as God's bouncer prohibiting others from experiencing the same radical grace I've experienced from him? The door's wide open. There's no bouncers in the house of God. We got a safety team. And I want to shout out our safety team at North. We had a man have a medical emergency. Y'all handled it like bosses, probably saved the man's life. I hope somebody prayed and did CPR, but I'll find out. The, but thank you for being so uh, in tune and involved, and God bless you all for that. Give yourselves a hand right now. You can't say you love God and constantly avoid phone calls from family. You can't be at odds with your family. I mean, if, if they're abusive, that's different. If they're there's, you got to protect, you know, you're, you're accountable for your family. So I'm not saying open the door to abusers and crazy people, but if it's just tension, um, that's what sinners do. They, they, they cut people off. Love heals hurts. And love will cost time. It will cost pride. It will cost money. But the Bible says if you have if you can speak with the tongues of men and angels and know all spiritual truths and prophesy and know all prophecies, but if you have not love, you're like a symbol that's broken. It's just clanging away. See, the virtue that's spoken of here in Galatians 5.22, the fruit, singular fruit of the Spirit, it's not a list that you pick from. It's the whole of what the Spirit's work creates in your life. And so spiritual fruit, is, I guess the best way to say it, is righteous virtue. It's what produces real righteousness that pleases God. And God wants you to produce fruit. Like, you're not to be a barren tree. You're to produce fruit that others can feast on. Amen? Psalm 1 and 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of gossipers and critics, scoffers. But his delight is in the truth, in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water. Like, that's me. I believe it. I don't run with I don't I don't I don't run with folks that 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 snort snort 
cocaine and do mushrooms. I'm sanctified, set apart, fire baptized, full of the Holy Ghost, ever-loving fire. Pray for my strength from the Lord. I feel like an old man sometimes. It's not enough just to say I'm immovable, but the Bible tells us that the last part of that verse, you got to yield your fruit in its season. You need to be a fruit producer as you yield and as you're planted and as the work of the Spirit is active in your life. And so it's a, it's a New Testament concept in Galatians 5. It's an Old Testament concept in Psalms 1. And the Bible says this in Romans 7 and 4. Not a Bible today, but the word works on our hearts. Romans 7 and 4 says, Likewise, my brothers... You also have died to the law. That's what Galatians is about. Through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may be, we may <laughs> in order that we may bear fruit for God. So, part of the gospel in your life is not just to save you and change you, and give you a new heart, but so that you could be a fruit-bearing entity in your world so that those that are hungry find something that they don't see anywhere else. Look at your neighbor and say, bear fruit. Yeah, fruit for God. All right. And so Christ came to the earth, died, rose from the grave on the third day, and to give us salvation and allow us to have eternity with him and to free us from sin. But he also did it so that we would be a fruitful people. Say production. God's people need to be a productive people. God forbid, and as long as I'm alive and if I can, uh, if I can push us, we will not be a customer-oriented, consumer-oriented church. We'll be the family of God. We'll be the church of God. We will realize that what Jesus said is, the greatest among you shall be a servant, not a surveyor. And so we put an emphasis on engagement, on involvement, on action, on buy-in, on being connected to the rhythm of the mission of God, which is the church. Week in and week out. And if you're coming here, you're going to hear that all the time until it just connects with every person who ever comes. But, but like, he did all that to empower us to bring forth fruit unto God. And it's only by the Spirit you can do that because you can't strain fruit out. Like, you don't hear banana trees groaning. You don't go into the, 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 the blueberry picking patches that people run around here and walk down the, amongst the blueberry bushes and hear, Aah! look at the blueberries. The natural production of being connected to the, 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 the vine causes the fruit to just, over time, it just happens. And that's where people miss it. They come to church one time and say, I don't feel no different. I ain't never going back. 
Listen, that's like straining for blueberries. It takes, it takes time. Philippians 1.11 says, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Colossians 1.10 says, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Spiritual fruit comes from connectedness and time. Connectedness and time. And so here's, 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 what, here's the tension here, okay? We're incapable of producing this kind of fruit, and yet we're commanded to do it. We're incapable of it, and we're commanded to do it. We're not strong enough to love our enemies, but we're commanded to do it. How do we work this out? Let's talk about that. The fruit that we want to see can't be strained out. It happens through growth. It's not produced by fleshly endeavors, but it's also commanded of us. And so the Bible says things like, you know, you're regenerated by the Holy Spirit. That's how you're born again. And yet you're commanded to be born again, right? You must be born again. The Bible tells us that we're saved by grace through faith, but it also commands us to save ourselves from this wicked generation. And so it's like God does, but we do as well. Um, like the fact that you can confess Christ, confess Christ, as your Lord and Savior is a work of the Holy Spirit, but you're commanded to confess Christ as well. The fact that you're being changed by the Spirit of God, the process called sanctification, it's a work of the Spirit, but you are commanded over and over again to be obedient. And so there's the promise of God's help and the command toward our obedience, and we have to live in that tension. And if you're ever in an environment where they twist the scale, God is not pleased. It is the tension of spirit and truth, okay? And so here's the tension. We are commanded to do what only the spirit can do in us. We are commanded to do what only the spirit can do in us. And so the actions without the attitude of trusting in God is hypocrisy. Trying to produce fruit without God is hypocrisy. The action of trying to please God through obedience without an attitude of trusting in him is legalism, which is rule-keeping, and God is not pleased with that either. Look, you don't want to do the action without the attitude. That's a fraud. So attitude fruit comes first, and attitudes come through actions, okay? And so how do you know you're a Christian? Well, by your belief in Christ, but also you'll be known by your fruit. And so when was the last time with sincerity in your soul, you said, God, help me to love you more. God, help me to love my neighbor as myself. God, I'm incapable of loving. I want to love. Would you please help me? The command and the promise puts us in a place of just asking God to help us because we can't do it, but we know with him we can. Like, I can't be righteous without God, without God making me righteous. And so most love in our culture, 
is related to a song or it's emotional. But if you want to know you're a Christian, look for the kind of love that's generous, that's sacrificial, that pours itself out into the heart of others. Is your life, is a characteristic of your life love? And I think that's where we all have to grow this time. Because here's the beauty of God. God, no matter what you've done, you need to get things right with him and repent, but God never turns from his love. God never wakes up and says, ah, I'm not feeling the love so much today. God loves you. And although he's commanded you to love him, know that the Holy Spirit is there to help you make up the difference you can't make up on your own. The Bible says this in Romans 8 and 35. What shall separate us from the love of God? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword as it is written? For your sake, we're being killed all day long. We're regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No! In all these things, we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing. Your inability, your mess-ups, your apathy, your depression, your faltering actions, whatever you're not bringing to the table, that's why you're commanded to, but empowered to also. The Holy Spirit will help you do what you can't do. I just think about all the examples that give us this picture of God's love. Think about rebellious Jonah in the belly of that fish. Ask him if God's love fails. Think about King David, who murdered a man in sin and fathered a child with a woman who was not his wife. Ask David if that sin separates him from the love of God. Elijah, in deep depression, asking God to kill him. Ask Elijah if depression separates you from the love of God. Ask Daniel, who went into a lion's in a hopeless situation if God's love ever fails. Thinking of those three Hebrew boys in the fire, ask him if persecution can cause God's love to stop working. I'm thinking of John the Baptist in prison, wondering if what he did worked. Ask him if God's love fails and he'll know it didn't. Peter the liar, God's love didn't fail. Paul committed all kinds of terrible atrocities against the people of God, but God's love did not fail. All those people in Scripture failed God tremendously at times or struggled greatly, but God's love was there knocking on the door, never failing them. Famine didn't separate people from God's love. Difficulty didn't separate people from God's love. God, 
who is all-powerful loves weak me. God who is all-knowing loves ignorant me. God who is everywhere loves absent-minded me. God who is perfect loves imperfect me. God who is rich loves poor little old me. And God who is high and lifted up loves little low me. O love of God, how rich and pure, how great, how much bigger than our brains is the love of God. And that's why the Bible tells us, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And so, this kind of love that doesn't keep score is only possible as we surrender to the Holy Spirit and his work in our life. How many of you need to love a little better? Raise your hand if you need to love a little better. Come on, need to love a little more? Not just what we believe, but what we do. I believe in love, but am I doing the things that promote love? I think God is pleased in that. And this is the beauty of God's love. It'll write a better story with your life. You may be coming here with a laundry list of, let's just say a rap sheet, shall we? Of all kinds of things that you're not super proud of. The love of God is bigger. Not to say that what you've done and where you've been won't have to be untangled. You can't untangle things overnight. But the love of God is enough to forgive you, to save you, to heal you and to forgive you and to take your dirty past and make your future white as snow. Hey, thanks so much for listening today. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can like and subscribe. You can even share this on your social media. If you do, tag us at The Courageous Church and share what God is doing in your life. Always remember, God's calling you to be strong and very courageous in all that you do. I hope to see you soon. God bless.